Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here uh, with a wonderful author and historian of the band, the legendary band, The Carpenters. And uh, I'll tell you, Chris May is uh, has put together uh, w- along with his writing partner a great book and it's just gotten uh, rave reviews everywhere you go i believe this is the definitive book on the carpenters and it's called carpenters the musical legacy thrilled to have you chris may how are you very good thank you frank for having me well before we get into the band maybe we could do a little bit on your background and if you don't mind let's start from the beginning where were you born where were you raised uh, Palm Springs, California, Coachella Valley. Uh, most people are familiar with the area uh, now because of the, uh, uh, the uh, world-famous Coachella Fest that happens every year. But uh, yeah, grew up and uh, got into music when I was when I was quite young, and uh, eventually became a music director and arranger. And a lot of that was inspired by uh, by the Carpenters and, and frankly by Richard. Yeah, it's it's amazing that you're in the, uh, in, in Coachella. Uh, probably when you were growing up, a lot of people never heard of it uh, and heard of the area. It's the it's the concert that really uh, put you know the the yearly concert right that uh, that puts it on uh, on the map, uh, right or wrong. That's absolutely correct. Yeah, we we laugh about it. In fact, my wife and I just. Uh, recently relocated here to the East Coast. We're in Virginia now, but uh, uh, you know we were born and raised both in Southern California. And would would laugh about you know Coachella being. It's like who who's ever heard you know who knows of Coachella and then and now it's uh, you, you hear it quoted and mentioned in movies and and films and, and TV shows all the time. It's really it's it's quite funny. Yeah, I know it's a beautiful setting, but how did that all happen? And I know it's kind of off the beaten track here a bit, but how did Coachella? Uh, decide on doing it in Coachella. Well, there was there was a lot of property. Uh, there's a lot of undeveloped property in the Coachella Valley, anyway. But uh, Golden Voice, the company that got behind it, uh, got into a deal with the Polo Association, the Polo Grounds in Indio. Uh, it's re- really falls on the border of. Uh, technically, it's in the city of Indio, and the border uh, it borders Coachella. And uh, so they they had been scoping out land for some time and. And of course, got some big money behind it. And so, initially, they were they were leasing the property uh, on an annual uh, basis. And it started just with, uh, I believe it was initially it was just the Coachella Fest, and then eventually the Stagecoach Country Festivals. And now uh, they've introduced this thing, Desert Trip, which is more of the classic rock. Uh, and uh, they bought the Golden Boys. It turns out, uh, and, uh, some others bought that uh, that property. And I believe that. It, the, the polo thing is now going away, at least in that location, and it's a permanent uh, uh, setup for for Coachella and any other uh, major you know concerts that they want to uh, stage throughout the year. So it's really it's it's become just a massive, uh, massive deal for them. Chris, you mentioned the the Carpenters uh, as being uh, a a focal point uh, for you even early on. Uh, in your life, uh, was it them, or what was it? Uh, you know, were you a Beatles fan? Were you kind of a little bit of everything? Did you get into any of the um, into the country uh, rock that was so popular in that area? Whether it was the Eagles, Jackson Brown, that you know, Poco, that that whole uh, that that whole movement there, or was it the Carpenters? Well, I was uh, Ray. I, I was very influenced by the the, the parent the music that my my parents my you know, folks listened to, and yeah. so it was a, a, quite an array of mostly mostly pop, 
some folk. So we're talking, you know, it would be everything from, you know, Ronstadt, the Carpenters, you know, Ronstadt into the sort of the crossover in the country Eagles, not so much the Eagles, but more like uh, if we want to talk about uh, Kenny Rogers would be a great example. They listen to a lot of Kenny Rogers and Ann Murray and, uh, uh, you know, and then uh, the Beatles, of course, uh, were uh, were a big deal. And eventually groups like Queen, you know, as I got older, the, the Queen thing happened after I had really gotten into Carpenters, which for me, the, uh, the, the Carpenters bug. Uh, hit me when I was about 12, and so of course that uh, because it wasn't just about the the sound, and you know, there's obviously there's you know it's it's pop pop rock, uh, easy listening, adult contemporary, whatever you want to call it, but there was a lot going on on those records that of course uh, you know uh, sparked an interest in me, uh, in in a lot of these other groups that were doing a lot of uh, say the the vocal overdubbing and all the stacked uh, close harmony and that kind of a thing, so. I was able to find uh, quite a number of other influences, and as I said, also in the uh, the British rock uh, circuit as well, and, uh, and and just sort of you know branched out from there. But as 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 far as any one group, uh, with the exception of Carly Simon, any one group that really got its hooks in me uh, from a very young age, it was it was Carpenters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Frank McKay here. So much more importantly. You're listening to the voice of Chris May. If you're just jo- joining us or if you're just turning on your radio a little late, uh, Chris May uh, has written a, a great book. It's a must-get for everyone. Carpenters, the Musical Legacy it is the it, the untold story of the Carpenters, which is, which is very interesting, which is a very interesting story. And, uh, you know, again, uh, Richard and Karen Carpenter, uh, you know, are, are not the... Uh, 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 you know what you would consider the controversial uh, folks out there, but still they they put together a, a very interesting life and obviously made uh, some incredible music. Chris May here once again with me, Frank McKay. Uh, let's let's turn to the Carpenters for uh, for a moment now, and uh, and it, let's let me kind of ask you the same question about them. Where were they born? Where were they raised? Uh, they were born in New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, and uh, grew up, went to, went to school, grade school, middle school. Uh, Richard started high school there. And then in uh, 1963, uh, because of a job, uh, initially it was you know, because of a job that, uh, that Dad Carpenter, uh, Harold, had, uh, had gotten out west. He wanted to get out of the cold. You know, they have been, obviously, they're notorious for the very cold winters. And uh, California had a lot to offer. And Richard, by this point, uh, you know, this would have been 1963. So Richard was right around 17, uh, 16, 17. And, uh, you know, it gave, uh, gave him an opportunity to get into uh, an environment where music, of course, was the scene. And, uh, and so that, uh, that happened in around 1963. And uh, Richard finished high school at Downey. Karen, of course, went into uh, to Downey High, and that's where she learned to play drums. And uh, that was really uh, where the the two of them uh, came together as a unit, first instrumentally, uh, as part of a jazz uh, jazz group that, that Richard had put together. And uh, you know, and it sort of blossomed from there. I, I gotta believe that was an unusual scene. Uh, seeing a young lady, you know, young, well, young woman, teen, uh, teen woman playing drums and actually playing as skillfully as she did. Uh, and, and again, that's, you know, not to cast any dispersions on on aspersions on uh, anyone who is um, um, 
uh, you know, who was a drummer back then. But I, I, I can't even think of too many female drummers from that time period. Well, it certainly wasn't the, uh, you know, it wasn't the, uh, what would you say, thing to do, or it wasn't the, the, the popular, you know, because all of the, you know, the hit drummers, uh, you know, of course, they were, they were all uh, men, uh, primarily, you know, and so, uh, but she, she got into, uh, into the drumming, well, first the blockage field. She took band to get out of you know, the story's been told, of course, many times. But you know, to get out of uh, physical education, and uh, so she learned. Okay, if she, you know, if she got into the marching band, uh, she would be, uh, you know, that that would uh, uh, satisfy that credit or whatever it was, and she could get out of PE. Well, she, as they call it, had good, great wrists and and, and impeccable time. I mean, really, she 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 was born with a talent. For, uh, for for rhythm and for playing. And what a lot of people don't tend to make the association with or the connection with is how incredibly she phrased her, her, her phrasing as a, as a vocalist later as people would go on to know her as, you know, Cameron of the Carpenters. Uh, she had remarkable timing in the studio. And, uh, you know, and really that starts with the ability uh, to, you know, to, she had that in her brain, in other words. And, uh, and but yeah, she was... Uh, it, it, it wasn't considered the in thing then to be a drummer. Of course, we've had other female drummers that have come along since, uh, but she was uh, she was remarkable. Yeah, uh, no, no question about it. Uh, let me again remind folks: uh, Chris May is the voice that you're hearing. Carpenters, uh, the musical legacy is the book. It's a must get, everyone, and please. Uh, get two, get one for yourself and get one for someone you think that would enjoy it. Uh, just a just a well-written book, just terrific. Uh, Chris May, once again, is our very special guest. Uh, let me go back to uh, something you, you had mentioned, the dad, uh, and, and of course they started out in, in Connecticut and made their way to, to California. What brought them there? Was it the father's job, and what did the parents do for a living? Yeah, well, so initially their father, Harold, uh, worked in the printing business. And so he uh, he had gotten a job in uh, just outside of suburbia, L.A. So Downey was the closest city that they found that they was was a little more uh, of a place that you would want to, you know, uh, plant your roots, so to speak. And, and it was close enough to work. And so that was uh, that's what he did. Mom uh, Carpenter, uh, Agnes, was a seamstress. And, uh, and so that's, uh, where, where she had, uh, that's, that's, well, she did that and then she worked for, uh, for, uh, for Northrop for some time and knew, knew a bunch of folks there, but she, uh, the two of them, it was really for dad's job and, and it was an opportunity for him, as I said, uh, to get out of the cold winters in, uh, you know, the Northeast, uh, part of the country and move to Southern California. And so that's really what, what initiated the, the move. Yeah. Uh, it- good for them right i mean they got out of connecticut you know nothing against connecticut a lot of folks are listening in connecticut now we love it but if you're uh, young folks and you're aspiring to be in the music business i guess connecticut's pretty close to new york but uh, it, you know why wouldn't you want the sunshine and uh and the uh, the um possibilities that california bring uh that's for sure were they excited about the move were they concerned about the move were they um you know they're uprooting as uh, as young people, and um, and and sometimes that could be uh, uh, that that could be a little uh, stressful. How did they feel about the move? 
Well, Richard was excited about it because he was uh, in agreement with with his dad that they want you know that he too wanted to get out of the cold, and it was an opportunity for him to pursue uh, uh, music. Which he, you know, it's not to say that he wasn't getting gigs in Connecticut, but of course, you know, the music scene at that time was all out in uh, in uh, out out west. And Karen didn't take to it as as well as Richard did. It took some adjusting for her. She had a bunch of friends. Uh, back east that she, of course, was was leaving and, and felt that, uh, you know, she and her personality was a bit more outgoing uh, than than Richard's. Not that he not that he can't be personable, but he's he's much more introverted. And Karen tend to be tended to be more, uh, more more of an extrovert in that sense. And so, you know, for her, yeah, it was a big uh, it was a big adjustment. And uh, but she, you know, eventually, of course, adapted, made made some new friends and and they got into the music together uh fairly shortly after that certainly by 60 late 63 or early 64 uh you know she was she was certainly into the marching band and playing by that and then they had uh, by 65 had formed the uh the richard carpenter trio which eventually took them to the battle of the bands the hollywood bowl battle of the bands by 1966 and of, of course they won that uh we talk about that uh in our in in our book in the Richard Carpenter interview, the first chapter. And uh, so, you know, that really was the sort of the genesis of the, you know, the start of, uh, of Carpenters was, you know, right around, like I said, 63, 64, 65. And uh, of course, the rest was, you know, uh, is history, as I say. Yeah, I, I keep saying the carpenters, and, uh, and and you just said carpenters there, and I I think the uh, you know the the public knows them as the carpenters. Uh, technically, is it carpenters? You know, it's either. <laughs> it's funny that you. I've I've been asked this before, and and Richard and I and and Mike have actually laughed about it several times. So back in the day, it, it was documented, and Richard has you know gone on record as saying that at one time, you know, it was sort of. Uh, he thought it was that they should have just been known as carpenters. And he says, but, you know, in hindsight, you know, when you're on the, uh, you know, on the, the Carson show and they're going to introduce you as they're, they're not going to say, OK, ladies and gentlemen, carpenters, they're going to say the carpenters. And so it really, you know, we we go back and forth in the book, depending on, you know, depending on the particular you know reference or context. Uh, so either is is correct at this point and richard even uh, to this day says it was it was kind of silly and ridiculous that we got so nit- nitpicky with it then because it just it really is what it is so you know it's interesting too that the timeline is, is 63 64 so many folks at their age uh, at that uh, particular time or actually maybe even a little younger uh, the the kickoff point was uh, february of, of of 64 the ed sullivan show that the Beatles appeared on, and and that wasn't the case here. Uh, who would you think? And and you um, you've spoken to Richard. Uh, who who was their um, launch pad? Who who started it for them? Uh, at least in the pop rock world. And and you know, again, you mentioned jazz. I mean, was it a jazz influence? Was it a a pop influence? Uh, who was Richard's uh, biggest influence growing up? Well, he had a, a, a number, of course, as far as the vocal overdubbing and all of the, the multi-harmony uh, the sound, vocal sound, that was really Les Paul and Mary Ford. Uh, and Richard was right around five uh, or six years old when he uh, was, you know, growing up, his folks were, his dad had a very extensive uh, <clears throat> and eclectic record collection in their basement in Connecticut. So Richard spent a lot of time down there listening to records from 
as I said, as early as, you know, four or five years old, eventually, you know, Karen comes along and she was right alongside him doing, doing the same. Uh, but the sound of Les Paul and Mary Ford had a, a profound impact on him vocally. Uh, the arranging style of Judd Conlon, we talk about that a little bit in the book, uh, the close four-part harmony as opposed to the barbershop you know, one, three, five, one for music buffs. Uh, it's, uh, you know, R- Richard, Richard took to that stuff. He loved it. And of course they, uh, you know, and he was, you know, he was influenced, uh, as far as piano his one of his big influences would have been, you know, Oscar Peterson, uh, for instance, uh, he had, he had a number in, uh, of them and we talk about it in the, uh, in, in the book, but, uh, bringing it all together, uh, you know, when he started writing uh, writing songs for Karen, a lot of it was the you know the top forty stuff that he was hearing. He had this incredible and still has this incredible ability to to hear something. And of course, in the heyday, you know, he knew right right away if it was going to be a uh, first off, the song had to have a strong melody uh, and and a great lyric, and it it he he could hear whether or not it was going to be the right fit for Karen. And the Carpenters. What became more challenging? Uh, now, sort of fast forward a little bit into their career and, and into their, you know, albums. You know, the third, fourth, fifth, on into the sixth album. He started running out of material, either new material uh, that he was finding, because he was really a born A and R man as well. I mean, he had the ability, as I said, to pick the right song. He could tell, you know, if if a group like Ruby and the Romantics in '69, you know, they released "Hurting Each Other." He heard it on the radio on his way home from school and said, you know, that's going to be a hit. Well, it didn't It didn't hit the way he thought it was going to. Uh, he remembered it, pulled it back out in 1972. They recorded actually late 71 for the uh, for the uh, a song for you album in 72. And of course, it was a it was a smash for the Carpenters. So he uh, you know, he was listening to a lot and, and uh, you know, of radio. And so he knew what was what was hot at the time and uh, had an ear for what could potentially be so. And uh, that was one of his many, many talents. Chris May, uh, once again, is the voice that you're hearing. Uh, he is the uh, the co-writer of the uh, the wonderful book, The Carpenters, The Musical Legacy and uh, tremendous talent, the Carpenters, Frank McKay here with Chris May. And Chris, you know, it's it, it's almost strange to say, but there, I I think they were taken lightly by by casual listeners or casual viewers because they're brother and sister act, and and you know they look so clean cut and and and, and all of that. People take it lightly. You know, you mentioned Oscar Peterson as the uh, as one of the influences, and and you, you think about uh, you know being in the school band and and learning you know uh, everything that she was learning Karen was learning these are talented really really talented musicians and I, I don't think they've gotten the proper credit over the years for how how much they really have a handle on music oh I would agree I would agree and I think uh, you know one of, one of the things I said uh, many times to Richard and and have mentioned it to others recently is that you know one of the uh, it's very it's very difficult to self-produce. I mean, most artists who are also producers generally have somebody else produce unless they truly possess the gift and the ability to 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 produce to self-produce. And the reason it's hard is because, you know, in the case of Richard, you know, here you've got your sister who has one of the finest, uh, who is one of the finest female vocalists 
uh, of all time. And you are also, you're the arranger, you're the songwriter, or, you know, certainly the A&R man behind picking songs if you're not writing them. Uh, you know, he was orchestrating and, of course, you know, was wearing all of these different hats. And to go into the studio, not to mention he came up with that harmonic sound and would write all of the vocal parts and, you know, and, and to know how to mix a record in such a way that it really features Karen, because as I said, you know, she obviously she was the she was fronting the group. She is the star, was the star of the Carpenters. Uh, Richard, uh, there's no hesitation from him on that. I mean, he's well aware of that. And, you know, he could have very easily featured, uh, you know, other things that might have been going on in the productions or in the mix to to to, to show off. Uh, himself a bit and in, in other words it you know there, there there wasn't this showiness about it it was just it was so well crafted and put together but as but i i can tell you that if you take any any one of those records and 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 pull them apart and dissect them you know if you could go into the studio and break down the multi-tracks and i've been fortunate to be able to do that with some of these uh you know it, it really takes a, a genius to put all of these pieces together so perfectly and uh, and again yet still feature karen as the talent on top you know richard uh, you know, not to say that he didn't, uh, that there that there weren't uh, some hurt feelings along the way, uh, you know, because, of course, he would get overlooked uh, and she would get more of the attention. But but I think with hindsight being 2020, and we see this with a lot of groups that have created a timeless sound in, in, in music history, uh, people are figuring it out. And we have access to, to things now that we never did before with technology, you know, with the Internet and so on. So I, I think there is a growing awareness of just how talented they uh, both, you know, she was and, and he is to this day. Chris May, once again, is the author of Carpenter's The Musical Legacy. Frank McKay coming back right after this. I'd like to welcome everyone back to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, the author of Carpenters, the musical legacy, Chris May, is our very special guest. And we're talking about the uh, the late, great uh, Karen Carpenter and Richard Carpenter, who was, uh, contributed. Uh, Richard, of course, contributed to, uh, to this book. So it's uh, very much... Uh, an authorized, I, I would imagine, authorized uh, biography, but it is it is the best. It's a quintessential book on the Carpenters, and it's a must-get for everyone. Please get this book. Frank McKay here once again with Chris May. Chris, welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, and thank you for the just the uh, wide <laughs> number of compliments. It's it's always a, a pleasure, especially given just the, uh, the the amount of, of, of love and time and, and energy that went into this for, for all of us. Uh, it was uh, certainly a labor of love, and it, it took years to get done, but we're, uh, it's always nice when the, when the public uh, appreciates something that, you, you know, that you've worked so hard on. Well, you've gotten rave reviews, and you deserve it. Uh, a lot of work goes into this, and I, in, in so many ways, I think of it, and again, I don't want to over-dramatize it, but uh, I think of what you're doing as uh, as being very important you know you're the you're the historian you're the the person that is going to lay this out and far beyond when when you me richard uh and and uh, you know everyone else is gone 100 years from now somebody's going to hear a carpenter song if uh, it's somewhere along the line and either a remake we assume somewhere along the line uh there'll there'll be remakes uh, even a hundred years from now where somebody's gonna just stumble across it the the book that you wrote 
is is what they're going to ultimately land on. And in some ways, you got to think of that as being a pretty big responsibility. So you want to make sure everything gets. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm sure that's crossed your mind that uh, you know that this has to be right. This has to be accurate. It has to be. Uh, it, there has to be uh, a lot of thought put into this. Uh, but but in some ways, a little bit of pressure on there too. Absolutely. The, you know, the book, and as you mentioned, you know, it's, it's, it's a biography, autobiography slash uh, reference guide. It's a data resource. It's, it's a memoir. I mean, it's, this is really sort of a first of its kind, I think, in terms of being uh, what I've been calling a hybrid book all along. Uh, that, I think there was more pressure in knowing what, you know, I mean, you, you you're constricted by, you know, of course, you've got a, a contract and a time, you know, time obligations and deadlines and so on. So it's like, OK, you know, you want to throw the kitchen sink in there. But at the same time, you don't want to alienate people. In other words, there's a balance. And so what we what we really wanted this book to be was not only a narrative that talks about what they had to deal with uh, musically with regard to the, 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 the labels uh, or the label uh, A&M. And, uh, you know, the folks in the upper echelons, and of course, the, you know, I'm talking, you know, managers and agents and so on. And, it, it, you know, a lot of this played into their image, uh, poor decisions that, that either Richard or Karen or together they made, you know, that, uh, you know, obviously uh, produced consequences. But uh, but one of the other things that and it took a little convincing uh, Richard on this, but I uh, really felt that uh, we we needed to also get into some of the. Uh, more minutia, the ar- the uh, the arcane stuff, you know, as he as he likes to call it, uh, because there is a you know people people understand more than you give them credit for, and it and you know you have to sometimes break it down and explain it. But again, we have access to technology; people are on their computers if they want to look something up. Not that you ever want anybody to to, to leave the book to go do something, but at the same time, it's you know we, we I. You know that the discography in the back, I uh, you know laid it out alphabetically and wanted to get into you know tape formats and the studios that were used and and some of the more or the rather lesser known details or not at all uh, you know told uh, never before told details about uh, how a lot of these songs were, were made and recorded because if he you know if we don't do it now and if we don't get it from it's likely not going to happen. Uh, not not with this level of accuracy as you as you mentioned again yeah it's i know i get uh all of that but it's uh it's it's just terrific it's terrific that you uh, had put the work in and uh, and this is the uh the the product you came back with chris may everyone is our very special guest carpenters the musical legacy is the name of the book it is a must get anywhere you can find uh, good books and fine fine reading you can find this book and that's Amazon and Bar- Barnes and Nobles and Porters and uh, everywhere else online uh, Frank McKay here much more importantly Chris May is our very special guest uh, let me uh, it, you said A&M uh, did uh, Herb Albert uh, uh, sign them uh, specifically or was it someone else who was the A&R man well, it was uh, Herb. Herb was the one that gave him the uh, gave him the shot. Said he wanted to sign him. His business partner, the M of the A and M, which was Jerry Moss, uh, was the one that actually was at the signing. Uh, and we've we've included a, the the picture, the only picture that exists of them uh, on the day of the signing, April twenty second of sixty nine. Uh, Jerry was the one that physically signed them, but Herb was really the one that made the decision. And you asked. 
earlier, you know, who was responsible for launching their career. Herb Alpert was really the the champion in that. Uh, to this day, uh, you know, Richard has uh, fond uh, regard for for Herb, and they are friends, and they stay in touch. And uh, you know, Herb, Herb really believed in them. As you said, they were. Uh, and I want to go back on something that you mentioned. You said, "Oh, they weren't controversial." Well, really, you could look at this this from both sides of that coin. They they, they were controversial, and that they weren't, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And so, you know, they were too clean. For well, them. that's it. It was, and that wasn't cool. You know, that was quite controversial at the time. So I, you know, however, however you look at that, but the, you know, one of the things that that. Uh, in fact, there's a fascinating new documentary that just uh, uh, just came out on, I believe it was on Netflix, uh, Mr. A and Mr. M. It's on the whole history of A&M Records, and, and they get into all this on The Carpenters, but also uh, uh, all, uh, many, if not all, of the other acts that they signed. You know, they they signed somebody because they they were genuine, and I'm when I say they, I'm talking about the the artists themselves. They heard something. First off, Herb heard something in Karen's voice that. Uh, reminded him a bit of uh, like Patty Page, but but would give him the feeling that she was sitting on his lap, like she was sitting right next to him singing. She just had that ability to project, and her the microphone loved her her voice, and uh, and of course Richard's arrangements and his ability to showcase Karen, and then of course all of the overdubbing. In the same way that the Carpenters were convicted about what they did, and they did it because they just liked to make music, they weren't concerned about what everybody thought about them, which, you know, was a blessing and a curse for them. And uh, Herb, Herb had the same insight. He had the ability to hear that and say, "Look, we're going to let these guys do what they do because they're making music. We want all of our artists on the label to be able to make music and to make their music and have it be." Uh, genuine and not sound manufactured. They were they were never micromanaged. They were never told, "Look, you must do this or you mustn't do that." And so that gave them a tremendous amount of freedom on those on those records. And so, really, Herb was the one that was responsible for giving them that because he had the insight to uh, to be able to say, "Look, you know, even even when their first album, you know, they put out Offering in 1969, and they had." Uh, the single off of that one was The Beatles Took It to Ride, and it went to 54, which is, yeah, it's a mild hit, but to get onto the top 100 was a big deal. Uh, the Hot 100 was a big deal anyway. Uh, but the f- other folks at the label were saying, uh, you know, let's cut these guys, and Herb said, no, I want to give them another shot, and he did, and of course, uh, as history is, uh, tells it, you know, out came close to you, the Backrack David tune, and, and that launched him straight to the top, and the rest is... You know, the rest is the story that we all that we know, and uh, they went on to enjoy just enormous success. I imagine the uh, the most difficult part of writing this uh, this book, especially with Richard being so uh, so involved, was uh, dealing with the. Uh, dealing with the uh, uh, the date uh, uh, February fourth, nineteen eighty three, and that's uh, that's when Karen lost her life at, at thirty two years old. I mean, it's uh, you know think about it. Um, again, Chris May here, Frank McKay here with Chris May, and the name of the book is Carpenters: The The Musical Legacy. But if you think about that that date and the age that she was uh, that that she was at, you know, normally you would think of a rock star or a pop star and you say oh boy i know what happened there i mean that was drugs no it, it was her death was uh, w- was something that i know was heart failure but uh but the anorexia 
that led to that heart failure. Uh, really, I and in my mind, that's when anorexia hit home for me. I think I was 16 years old, and uh, we heard about uh, bulimia, uh, you know, a bit about bulimia. We heard about uh, anorexia, but it was Karen Carpenter's death that really, uh, I think, put the illness on uh, on the radar screen for so many uh, parents and uh, and. Uh, you know, brothers of, of young women mainly, and and how many millions of, of women, young women, girls, uh, deal with that. Um, it, am I right to, to believe that was the most difficult part of this, this writing? Well, we, we really didn't spend... We, we came up with an agreement, the three of us, going into this from the beginning, uh, that, you know, obviously the book was... Its primary focus was the musical legacy, but we said we would get into Karen and Richard's personal lives, when it affected the recordings. Because really the recordings were the root of yeah. Carpenter. You know, we didn't get into much of the lives concertizing that, although we do get into it as far as the schedule and as far as it was really a breakneck schedule, I mean, as far as uh, that goes, and, and really contributing to a lot of their burnout, of course. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so we didn't, you know, we didn't spend a lot of time on it. We did spend some time on it, and, it, and of course it can't not come up. I mean, you know, we, we were talking about Karen constantly, and, and of course Richard, and, and I think this was a bit of a uh, of a, uh, hopefully a cathartic experience for Richard again, you know, having to go back through all of this, but when we were going through the archives, he and I, and my wife, Joselle, who's a graphic designer, and she actually uh, was responsible for helping us come up with the concept, but she did all of the the, uh, the scanning of all the archival material and all the photographs and slides, and so she and I and Richard worked closely on that, and I know that, you know, he even mentions in our introduction that, uh, you know, it was met with some trepidation for him, you know, having to go back through this, because there was a lot of stuff that he uh, well, uh, thankfully, was reminded, you know, had existed that he had forgotten about. But, you know, to go back through this and you see documents and you see photos and you see ephemera and things, you know, the flood of memories. And he knew, in other words, he indirectly was having to really sort of jump into the deep end of that pool again. And it was agreeing to that. It knew that that's what he was agreeing to when he, when he did this. So it was uh, it was difficult for him at times. I, I do know uh, he, uh, you know, you just uh, having gotten to know him over the years. I mean, you just sort of know when and where to push on some things and where to just give it some space and time. And that's how we got through a lot of this. Well, listen, you, whatever you did, you did it uh, as, as well as anybody else could have. Uh, just a tremendous <laughs> job. Uh, again, Chris May is the author, co-author of uh, of the book. Uh, Carpenter's The Musical Legacy Frank McKay here with Chris we got a couple moments uh, uh, left with Chris Uh, Chris, from your standpoint and and again you you had this long love affair with the uh, with the Carpenters uh, what what came up in either working with Richard um, or your own research what did you discover while writing this book that uh, that I, I don't want to say blew your mind, but I mean, it, was there anything that really uh, was a surprise to you? Was there anything that uh, that you didn't expect and kind of came out of left field and said, wow, I didn't know that? Uh, you know, I think a lot of it was uh, Richard's humility. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, he's obviously been 
uh, overlooked over the years, although there has, as I mentioned earlier, has been a growing awareness of just how talented he was and she, uh, he is and she was. Uh, but I think a lot of it was just the, uh, you know, he, he was quoted recently as saying, you know, we were high ego, low self-esteem. And when, when you really get to know him, you, you can, you, you know, self-deprecating at times. I mean, it's almost like he just really uh, didn't realize how just how much interest uh, the world still has. I mean, he's, he's realizing it, but I think he keeps himself so separate from it on a day-to-day basis, so, so separated from it. That uh, that it, it, it's almost like we, you know, he was sort of taken by surprise. There were a lot of surprise moments, I think, for him where he was like, "Oh, well, you know, I think he realized that there there is a there's a much bigger audience." Uh, he recently, as a matter of fact, it's released today. He just cut a uh, solo piano album for Decca Records. Uh, Richard Carpenter's piano song. I want to give that a mention too. Uh, Richard Carpenter's piano songbook. It's available. Uh, you can buy it online now uh, at all the major uh, retailers. Uh, but uh, you know, this has been quite a quite a year or two, really, for him. I mean, the book and then the just the enormous. Uh, uh, reception it's gotten, and then of course this this new album. There have been some some teasers, some tracks that have been uh, pre-released over the last couple of months. Uh, Steinway just awarded him. Uh, you just gave him the uh, Steinway Artist Award uh, back in I think it was in October, late October, and. Uh, you know, and and there are some other things, uh, some future projects that he that he's had his eye on, and so it's uh, you know there's just been this constant resurgence. And again, if you you know you you watch movies, TV shows, occasionally on a commercial, you know. I, I think he turns down more requests than he's agreed to uh, as far as licensing of some of the Carpenter's material for uh, some of the other media, as I said, TV and and and, uh, and movies and that sort of thing. But it's it's just an ongoing popularity. And again, it's their music, their sound is timeless, and it will. Uh, I believe it will it will carry on for many many generations. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you 100. percent I think that uh, the Carpenters were uh, were an underrated. Uh, act and and again maybe they were they were they were cleaning uh, you rightfully corrected me there they were controversial they were controversial because they were clean in a uh, in, in a in a very adventurous time uh, with a lot of drug use and a lot of different things they weren't hippies uh, you know these were basically uh, the the kids next door uh, just the kids next door with an extraordinary uh, extraordinary amount of talent and uh these you know these are both people i imagine and you mentioned ego people look people go through things uh, through things but these these are two young people while they were performing that um people could be watching them on uh, uh you know on tv and say you know i could see my my son marrying her i could see my my daughter marrying him and it wasn't threatening at all um again chris may is is here he's our very special guest and he wrote uh, just, just a great book uh carpenter's the musical legacy it's a must get everyone frank mckay here with the author of the quintessential book on the carpenters and uh thrilled to have him for a couple minutes longer here i real real quick about this and i, I don't want to backtrack too much but harold and agnes um were they the type 
to to say, hey, look, you know, forget about this music thing. It's nice to have uh, have some fun with it, but don't don't try to make this your living. Or did they realize what you know what they had, and they were just kind of letting them go with the flow and see what happens? They were actually incredibly supportive uh, for the very beginning. In fact, Richard has even used the words uh, or the word overly generous. Uh, in terms of their support when it came to buying them instrument, you know, instrumentate, you know, instruments, you know, Karen's drums, Richard's pianos, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, they worked extra hours and uh, jobs to do this sort of thing to make sure that the kids had what they needed and that they were pursuing their their dream and their goal. There, I never got the sense from Richard ever uh, that uh, that there was ever that the parents ever discouraged. Uh, either of them from pursuing uh, pursuing their musical talents and gifts. I think that they 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 realized uh, right from the get go just how talented they were and that they were gonna they were gonna to to do something. They were gonna make something of themselves. They were determined. That determination uh, came from from mom and dad. Uh, there was a bit you know they, they were a bit a bit taken aback. I when Karen wanted to wanted to drum, but certainly they didn't tell her, they didn't forbid her from doing it. They bought her a set of drums and, uh, you know, and so right from the beginning, they were, they were their biggest uh, cheerleaders uh, right from the beginning, all the way, all the way on through the, uh, their career. Yeah. And kudos to Harold and Agnes. I mean, that's uh, so many uh, parents would have been exactly the opposite, saying, "What are you out of your mind? Uh, you know, you can't do that." Especially at that particular uh, moment. But they recognized how talented uh, these uh, these offsprings were. Their offsprings were, and uh, what a unique, special talent they had. Uh, Chris May, once again, is the author of of a great book. Please get this book, Carpenter's the, the Musical Legacy. Frank McKay here with Chris May. Uh, Chris, we got a couple of moments left, uh, you know, probably about a minute left. Uh, anything that you'd like to add um, and any thoughts? And hopefully I can get a part two with you. And, uh, and before you go, give us any websites or social media sites uh, where people could follow along with what you're doing. Sure. Well, uh as far as, as the book is concerned, uh, as I said, it was a labor of love for all of us. Uh, Mike Sedoni Lennox, my co-author, uh, is a, uh, a veteran entertainment journalist for the AP Associated Press. He's been doing this for a lot of years, and we both, uh, you know, when we got together on this thing, we wanted to write the book that hadn't been written. Uh, to quote uh, Toni Morrison, you know, if you want, if you, if there's a book you must read or you want to read that hasn't been written, you must write it. And that was really our, uh, that was our our um, sort of our motto from the beginning with this thing and of course getting Richard involved we wanted it as accurate as possible again the focus was on the music and not on their personal lives so much unless it affected the records uh, and we I believe we stayed as true to that as we possibly could in the time we were given to to, to do this to get this turned out and so uh, we're we're certainly proud of it and I am beyond grateful for your kind words and the, the kind words of so many who have really, you know, given us the, uh, the appreciation that we feel that it uh, has uh, hopefully deserved. And, uh, and it, it hopefully, hopefully it will be around for, for many, many years to come. As you said, I uh, can certainly hope so. The quintessential book on the Carpenters, the Carpenters, the musical legacy is the name of the book. Chris May, is as the co-author of that book frank mckay 
uh, signing off. Chris, thank you very much. Congratulations on a great book. And I hope to get a part two with you one of these days. I would love it. I'd look forward to that. Thank you so much, Frank. Chris May, everyone, has been our very special guest. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. This is Frank McKay. 